Welcome to the Real Life Diabetes Podcast. My name is Amber Kluwer, and I've lived with type 1 diabetes for decades and enjoy sharing my story and those of other people living with this disease. Today's guest, Chad Lewis, is the author of Doing Diabetes Differently, a book that breaks the mold of traditional diabetes care. With fresh perspectives and commentary from notable experts, Chad combines years of research with firsthand experience. This interview is provocative and will hopefully help you rethink your diabetes management. But before we dive in, I have a few quick announcements. Number one, the Diabetes Daily Grind is a nonprofit organization. Funds raised help keep the website, podcast, and advocacy efforts afloat. It's easy. Just purchase a copy of Doing Diabetes Differently or click the donate link on my website. Number two, my affiliate and resources page feature reputable brands and services that make life with diabetes a more pleasant one. You can find all the deals at diabetesdailygrind.com. And finally, stay engaged on all things social media. Sign up for the e-newsletter, subscribe to my newly updated YouTube channel, and click on the Amazon banner on the website before ordering. It doesn't cost you a thing and throws a little change my way. All right, let's get started. So I'm happy to have my new friend, Chad Lewis, on the Real Life Diabetes Podcast today. And we're going to jump right in, Chad, to let's talk a little bit about your diagnosis story, because you're one of the few people I've interviewed that have had type 1 diabetes longer than I have. Okay, Amber. Well, I was diagnosed in the fall of 1968, which means I've had diabetes for 54 years. 54 years. Wow. And let's talk a little bit about that, just because I want, especially if you're newly diagnosed, to know how advanced we are with everything. So let's talk a little bit about your diagnosis and and what your regimen was right off the bat. Well, I was living outside of my household when I was 17 years of age. I was on my own living on couches. (laughs) And I noticed that I was losing a lot of weight. And I was, let's just say, using the restroom a lot, drinking gallons of water. There was something wrong with me. Fortunately, I was still in contact with my father, and fortunately, he got me to the family doctor. And in those days, they did a test strip at the doctor's office and took me immediately to the hospital. And with the test strip, was that blood or was it urine? I think it was urine. Okay. Uh, I don't believe the doctor was able to do a blood test at the office, but I was obviously a type 1 diabetic at the time. And I just want to touch on this briefly. So when you're diagnosed with type 1 in 1968... You're given what type of insulin and you even, uh, there's so many things here. <laughs> well, first of all, I went, I went to the hospital for a long time. Mm. This doesn't happen today. Right. But I was probably in Stevens Memorial Hospital for five days. They had what passed for a diabetes educator then come in and show me how to inject an orange. Yep. And I got real good at shooting up oranges. <laughs> and when they sent me home, they sent me home with a kit, six needles, and one glass syringe, and the needles included a whetstone so I could sharpen them. That is great. And my routine, and back then this was very typical, is if you had diabetes, you had your shot. You had your one shot, you took it in the morning, typically uh, in the thigh, and I was shooting up 80 units of Lente insulin, which was a pig beef-based insulin. I had to boil uh, my needle and boil the syringe and drop the insulin and jam it in me. And periodically I sharpened the needles, although it pretty much felt like poking myself with a nail. Oh God. And I got to say like, and you're in the sixties, like you're a cool dude, you're young, you're hanging out, you're couch surfing and you're having 
That was all happening. So did you, uh, last question about your diagnosis, did your friends know what was going on? Oh, yes. I mean, I was, I, I looked like I was out of Auschwitz. Oh, I, that's terrible. I was five foot nine and I weighed about 110 pounds. Wow. I literally melted away. Wow. Well, I'm glad that you're still with us today because those are- really... I am too. I am too. <laughs> really rough times, I want to say, but you have lived a very exciting life from what I understand. And I want to jump right into you. We connected because you have written a book that I have read so many diabetes related books because I want to learn everything I can, but yours is different. So let's talk a little bit about what it is and the title right off the bat. Well, that's actually in the title, doing diabetes <laughs> differently, empower a healthier you. <laughs> and so let's talk about what brought you to why you wanted to write this book. There were two reasons. The first reason was I uh, I just become appalled at watching dear friends struggle with the disease. And I've lost many of them in recent years. Right. And I felt if if they had a resource that might've helped them to do diabetes differently, they might still be with us. And of course, it occurred to me that I might have good information to share with the diabetes world in general. So my first purpose was to research diabetes and offer, and this is true to the title, a different perspective, right. different from, in many ways, from conventional wisdom and standard practice. So there are places in my book that are provocative. However, my book is research-based, and at the very least, it will help the reader to raise questions. I want to say something right off the bat. When you say research-based, I want to just touch on, because you have been in the academic world for quite some time. So when I say research, I'm like scrolling through the internet, but you have done an extensive amount of research. Can we talk a little bit about that? Like who you brought in and and yeah, like what type of research are we talking? Well, peer-reviewed journals and the like. I also read copious trade books. <laughs> when you study nutrition, it's hard to avoid the dozens and dozens and dozens of trade and popular books that have been written. But many of these books are also research-based. Absolutely. And I also consulted with experts during my writing, including a diabetes medical writer, Carol Vetterisi, Dr. Earl Hirsch, and Dr. Stephen Ponder, endocrinologists, provided feedback. I had many expert contributors in terms of coffee time and yeah. visits and phone calls. Randy Eldy of PharmD helped me. Having a person with a doctorate in pharmacy helping you with your drugs and devices chapter yeah. was most helpful. So I think that's one of the things that I really like about this book, and we're going to jump into some other things, is... You know, like I said, I read or helped promote a lot of these books and it, they may not make sense to me or fit my diabetes management, but it may resonate with somebody else. And that's why I really like that the title doing diabetes differently. So you start out by critiquing the diabetes care hierarchy and versus how it should be. So let's talk a little bit about the shift there. Okay. Well, First, I, I got to do a quick shout out. The actual title of the book, Doing Diabetes Differently, mm -hmm. that idea actually came from um, Badovin Birch, who is a management consultant and a systems philosopher who became my friend during this process. His partner, Reva Greenberg, 
was actually one of the expert commentators to my book. Mm-hmm. But I, I do I do want to mention Bao and give him some credit before we we dive into the hierarchy of diabetes care as it is versus how it should be. Right. And that's that's how I move into the book after I basically define the problem in a chapter called the scourge. I move into a chapter that deals with diabetes care in the United States as it is versus as it should be. And I want the listener to picture a pyramid. And at the base of the pyramid, the foundation of the pyramid, you have the part where most of the attention is paid. And right now, the base of the hierarchy of diabetes care as it is, is drugs and devices. Right. They predominate for a lot of reasons I I discuss in the book. Next on the hierarchy, on that pyramid, moving up toward the point is nutrition. Then we have exercise. And then finally, the tippy tippy top in terms of uh, the current hierarchy, we have something I call the mental part. Right. My argument is that the mental part of diabetes gets the least amount of attention. There are several reasons for this. I'm not going to go into here, but basically what other than the education that people with diabetes receive through uh, those who do diabetes education from their care providers, Mm -hmm. whatever help they can get there, and maybe their own reading, they're basically left with dealing with the management of a chronic disease that results in distress. Mm -hmm. It's been labeled diabetes distress. And that's pretty much where we're left. We're left in terms of the mental part with treating the symptoms of diabetes distress. And my argument is, that the hierarchy of diabetes care as it should be, should put the mental part first. That should be the foundation of the pyramid. And as we deal with the mental part first, there's several aspects to that. And one of them is dealing with root cause. So that we're not just treating the symptoms of diabetes distress, but we're getting at actually the foundational issues that lead to the distress. Right then comes nutrition, then comes exercise. And at the very tip of the hierarchy of diabetes care, as it should be, is drugs and devices. Because for a person with type 2, they take care of those first three parts moving up the pyramid. They're probably not even going to need diabetes drugs. Right. And for a person with type 1 diabetes or a person who is insulin dependent, they'll be using much less insulin, which is healthy for a number of different reasons. And the diabetes distress in this scenario, tends to fall by the wayside. Right. It's definitely not something that's talked about as much as it should be. And I want to say to the listeners too, just going into this, that I had to postpone this a little bit because I started with a rocky morning of low blood sugars. And so as as we were talking before we started recording was, you know, that's dramatically changed the course of my day. And never in a doctor's office has anybody talked about that. And I'm glad that we can now have this conversation and Chad is bringing these things up because yeah, that is something, a part of the conversation that needs to be had. And so addressing it, allowing myself to work through it and still have a productive day at some capacity. I like the fact that you've broken it down into chapters that are very, I'm going to say easy to follow. And you even, one of the reasons I really love this book is there are resources available. There are so many takeaways. So if you, can you break it down a little bit? Let's go chapter to chapter briefly, but what can someone walk away with after reading that chapter? Well, what struck me as I read, I swear, every diabetes trade book ever written on top of every nutrition and exercise trade book ever written. I believe that. I I went through all of these books. (laughs) What struck me is that many of the authors promoted the one right way. Right. 
And that was basically my way. And and by implication, if my way is the right way, then other people's way is the wrong way. And right. I endeavored, sure, I'm, I'm putting out my points of view. And like I said, many are provocative, but I also wanted to bring in other resources, uh, even points of view that may disagree with me. And so my book includes expert commentaries from well-known people in the diabetes world. And they've come in, people like Ginger Vieira, Reva Greenberg, Dr. Jody Stanislaw, they come in and comment at the end of a topic. They put in their, uh, their point of view. I also felt that we needed a book that would include resources mm -hmm. and resources other than the book the person is reading. And so each one of my uh, chapters concludes with a list of recommended books, blogs, other internet resources, podcasts, you name it. Yeah. So that the reader can then take what they're picking up from what I have to offer, what the commentators have to offer, and they can continue the exploration on their own, including recommended questions for care providers. I include those for each chapter as well. Well, and that's one of the, like that hands down is one of the most important things because one of my life missions is to empower the patient to ask the right questions. Well, a lot of times when you're overwhelmed with the disease as a whole, and you walk into that doctor's office, you're freaked out about X, Y, and Z, and you don't know what to ask. You don't right. know how to get to the next level. And I encourage people to, I'm not going to say challenge, but address these things. And you have given great questions. I and, tried. Yeah. And you're also, I want to say this right off the bat. So we don't forget because you are open to talking to people about this. If someone wanted to contact you, and say, or ask another question, or yeah. how can they get a hold of you? Well, they can send an email to uh, doing diabetes differently at Gmail. And I'm saying that right now, because we don't want to forget it, because Chad is really good about addressing those questions and connecting you with the other people that you may want to talk to. And that's the resources and takeaways are so valuable with this book. And I want to say too, to the medical community, when it comes to drugs and devices, I'm happy as we started with the diagnosis story to see the advancements in technology and insulin therapy. But if we can factor in, like you said, mental health, diet and exercise, so many other things fall into place in a positive way. So that's my two cents, which doesn't really matter. But um, well, actually it does matter. It's, <laughs> you're speaking truth, I think. Well, and I just I think about how I have had lived my life. No one gave me an instruction manual and I chose things to do things differently. And diabetes are not related. I have hopefully I would like to believe reap the benefits of those choices early on to still be living with type one diabetes at almost 40 years. So I want to touch briefly, and I'm kind of going off track here, but you walk the walk, not only talk the talk, but you walk the walk. So your diet and exercise, you're on the serious, you are serious about it. Oh, I, I don't know if, it, if I'm serious. You do it. Okay. But there's so many, I don't know if it's irony or paradox, but the reality is, in my view, is that if we try to live a life, those of us with diabetes, where, for example, we try to eat normally, we actually, ironically, make our lives more difficult. We're trying to make our lives easier. So, you know, we can have ice cream like other people, but the paradox is, is we actually make things worse. Right. And I don't live a Puritan life. I live a life that is designed to minimize diabetes stress and yeah. distress. And I do that basically by following what I write about under the mental part, 
nutrition, and exercise. And the drugs and devices part just take care of themselves. I'm from where I was 10 years ago, I use only 50% of the amount of insulin. I have much less hypoglycemia. Isn't that a trip? Very, very little. I'm hypoglycemic less than 3% of the time, and, and that's not dangerous hypoglycemia. Right. Relative to the old days, more than 10 years ago now, when I was bounding up and down, but my doctor was still happy because I was below the ADA standard of 7.0, yeah. I was miserable. I was also 40 pounds heavier. This is, again, though, I don't see it as I'm not living a Spartan life. Yeah, but one of the things, and I just want to say that in our conversations, because I'm the same way, not that it's right or wrong, but I choose to exercise most days of the week, weather permitting, I still do stuff at home. And for me, that's a part of my diabetes management that I never thought about as diabetes. I'm vain and I just want to be thinner and look better and whatever. But it's one of those things that you said, it's like brushing your teeth. It's something you know you need to do every right. day. And I think that's a different way of looking at it instead of this is the best way to do it or you should right, be doing, right. you know, just like, hey, let's do some well, let's let's, exercise. Amber, let's take some of the takeaways on exercise from, Absolutely. Book, for example, from my research. So one of the things I discovered was the idea that we had to sweat for hours in a gym, <laughs> which by the way, is promoted by TV programs like The Biggest Loser. Yeah. It's false. It's a misconception. Right. You, with 75 minutes of vigorous exercise per week, up to two and a half hours of moderate exercise, we can meet exercise objectives. Right. And this little bit of time can be scheduled in a person's life, much like brushing your teeth, changing your uh, sensors, mowing the lawn. But for this to work, even this little bit of exercise, I think it's also important to address another misconception. Mm -hmm. We see this misconception everywhere in the exercise trade book and article literature. And that's this notion that exercise for health has to be fun. <laughs> it doesn't have to be fun. I don't enjoy brushing my teeth or mowing the lawn. And that's the way I look at it. But you can also have exercise for fun. Yeah. And so I like to play golf. I'll run out. I'll play 18 holes of golf for fun. That's exercise for fun. But I don't regard that as the type of exercise that I need to do for health. Right. So if it's a Wednesday, I have to come back and run on the cross trainer for 25 minutes. But because that's just a short period of time, as long as I do this exercise in a weekly rhythm, I'm fine. And I've met my exercise objectives. But it required digging into, drilling into some of these misconceptions about exercise right. for me to make this happen. Well, I'm glad you're doing it. Good God. You're running 25, like for 25 minutes on it. I need to up my game. Jesus. No, it's now I'm stressed out. <laughs> no, no, no. It's honestly, I'm 71 years old. I mean, I'm, I only have the machine up to a, on a scale of 10. I only have the machine up to about three. Well, that's pretty much the pace I'm going at. <laughs> but, you know, that's just an example though, Amber. Um, Is there any, <laughs> let's touch on any other takeaways you want from the chapters, because we've talked about mental health. We've talked about exercise. Diet, like you said, is there anything that we, yeah, you want to share well, about diet? There's some other, each one of these, these areas in the hierarchy of diabetes care have takeaways. And again, some of them are, I'm not necessarily agreeing with conventional wisdom and standard practice. Right. Uh, I'll give you an example. In the diet area, interestingly, we look at low carb eating as, as the ticket, you know, that that's right. become very common and but there's so much more to it. And there's actually alternatives. Right. 
for most of us, yes, lower carbohydrate eating, even ketogenic eating is best for a number of good reasons, which, which I dive into. Right. However, there is also a high carbohydrate, very low fat mm-hmm. option that involves plant-based food, whole foods, whole foods should be true across the spectrum, but there is this option and there's reasons why this option can work for some people. Right. I look into these options and I also address some other misconceptions. The fear of cholesterol, for example, and the fear of saturated fat. There is so much more to the story right. than really some conceptions that bubbled out of the 1970s and 80s that are still with us yeah. about the dangers of cholesterol and saturated fat. Oh, yeah. So these are takeaways, I think, that are important for nutrition. For mental health to go, or the mental part, to go back to that, I take on what I call the fallacy of normalcy, this idea that all we have to do is figure out how to cover the crappy food we're eating with medication. Hmm. But that's the dominant discussion when you sit down with your care provider. You know, it's, it's what are you eating and how do you cover it? Let me say this really to you because this is going to yeah. be super controversial and I'm going to say it out loud. Telling people you can eat whatever you want and just dose for it. Yeah. I think is a real disservice to the diabetes community. I want you to live a normal life. And I'm saying this only because you really do touch on that. Yeah, but do you feel good when you do that is my question to the person living with diabetes. Right. Well, there's so much to it. And again, I'm glad I I had a chance to write about it, but people shouldn't go on diets. (laughs) Dieting is futile for, for reasons I talk about. And really the focus, and I beat on this drum throughout, is to maintain, to safely maintain healthy blood sugars yeah. using a minimum of medication. Now, yeah. healthcare providers provide that first part, mm-hmm. but they don't hit on the back part enough. And yet we can't use a minimum of medication if we're eating a standard American diet. Right. The uh, other thing that I feel is very important, and again, around nutrition is just to go old school, go back to basics. Right. It may, it's not sexy, but even if you had the fanciest hybrid loop system on the face of the planet, yeah. you were plugged into it and somehow miraculously you managed to maintain normal blood sugar, right. you'd still be in trouble. Yeah. Because you'd be storing fat. Other markers of metabolic health would be in trouble. You really haven't addressed underlying health issues that are, that are so important. And finally, doing all of this is important in terms of nutrition, taking care of maybe going back to basics and eating healthy whole foods and all the rest of it. But I also think that we need to have a mental frame, a perspective, because all these other dietary nutritional related deals, they're necessary, but they're still insufficient. Yeah. What I hit on here, and this is what, this is really controversial is I took 12 step thinking from addiction research and therapeutic practice, and I've applied it to diabetes. So the perspective that I'm throwing out there is practicing 12-step thinking. I call it a perspective because I'm not talking about 12 steps. Right. And doing that in the context of managing a chronic disease state called diabetes, as opposed to a chronic disease state called alcoholism, right? drug addiction. And I find the two have a lot in common. And that's another part that is another takeaway, another something new that I've added to the mix. Yeah, I think you do a great job of bringing those together because it does make you think about the similarities, honestly, in that program. I want to touch on two things that I ask every single guest. 
and you, you've touched on it. So the question number one is, do you feel like you've received proper diabetes education post-diagnosis? And that's a no-brainer because you're up to your eyeballs and researching and you've written a book about it. So I'm going to just take well, that question off. <laughs> well, I, I have to, one of the forward authors to my book is Dr. Earl Hirsch. Right. And he might be the number one diabetes endocrinologist in the U.S. I mean, and he's your, endo- he's, he's your endocrinologist, correct? He's my endocrinologist. So yeah. I had marvelous care from my primary family physician of 40 years, right, Dr. Laird Findlay. I've been really very fortunate with the care that I've received. And that's such, that's great to hear because it's rare that you hear that. And the second thing, which you also touched on is I ask every guest, do you have access to healthy foods? I'm going to say fruits and vegetables within a two mile radius. I do. And that's a blessing. It is. And I'm very fortunate that I can afford fruits and vegetables. Yeah. And that I live in a place where I can get in a golf cart and buzz over and get my fruits and vegetables. Yeah, that's awesome. I can walk to the farmer's market from my house, but a golf cart would be easier, but I need the exercise. And yeah, you're right. And touching on that's, that's the reason I bring it up is because of food deserts. And and I'm just really learning about it over the uh, the course of the past, I'd say 10 years, another advocacy effort on my part, but okay. I want to jump into another reason why I'm excited to have Chad as a guest. We're announcing the fact that his book and his philanthropy is benefiting the diabetes daily grind. So I'm very thankful. Do you want to share a little bit about why you chose the Diabetes Daily Grind? Because there are so many reputable organizations and and nonprofits that would love to have this type of relationship. Well, I'm glad you brought that up because that's the second reason why I wrote the book (laughs) was to give back to the diabetes community. Right. One of the reasons I I was attracted to Diabetes Daily Grind, Amber, is because the mission of your organization is to help all people with diabetes. Right. You're not just focused on type two. You're not just focused on type one. And my book covers both type one and type two. I made yeah. the point that even though the the genesis of our diseases are different, we share a lot of the same challenges. Mm-hmm. And that's really what that's all about. The other thing is, Amber, you don't have a book yet. Your organization is not connected to a book. Yes. You'll find that many of the really large diabetes nonprofits are connected to people who are associated with people that they have a book and uh, bringing my book in isn't something that is going to work. Right. So that's, Well, lucky me. <laughs> yeah. Well, it, actually, it was fortuitous. It was total serendipity. We connected yeah. and I'm happy. Well, I'm glad to hear that. And I will say when it comes to the mission of the Diabetes Daily Grind, which is to provide real support and resources for all people living with diabetes and their loved ones. It took a long time to get to that point because in the early years of the organization at that point was not a nonprofit. I gave the type two diabetes community a really hard time. And my research and interviews, I realized that just wasn't the right place to be. So I'm happy to be in this space. And I'm glad that you can understand that. And I hope that all people listening, so many of us, especially in the United States, it's like one in three people are affected by this disease and deal with chronic illness like this. And so your book is helpful. I don't care if you're a person living with diabetes or not. It's it's going to make you think about things differently. It's going to empower you to go into your medical community and say X, Y, and Z. And I'm hoping that it will, it, it, there's no doubt it will benefit the medical community as well, because now you can do your research as to when your patient comes in and asks X, Y, and Z, you'll have correct information to provide to them. That's actually a secondary market for the book, our care providers. 
Yeah. I also wrote to them, but in my career, I, I wrote a number of textbooks. I spent a <laughs> lot of time writing to students and I got beat up by editors. <laughs> and I like to think I learned how to write to the reader. Right. Well, the readers will also, and I'm really also hoping that there will be uh, care providers that will not only read this book, but they'll benefit from it. There's very little education given in medical school on the subjects yeah. of exercise or nutrition. And yet for diabetes, those are the most important topics. Absolutely. So the care provider is basically left with drugs and devices. Yeah. Or referring the patient out to someone who, let's face it, if this person has a degree in social work, and yet they've been certified as a diabetes educator. Mm -hmm. They may know as much about nutrition uh, as the physician who referred yeah. the person with diabetes. So I hope that my book connects with the care provider community as well. And I also hope it, it encourages debate. Debate. Absolutely. I think having these conversations, everybody is going to benefit from it because they're either going to be pissed and throw their arms up and whatever, or they're going to say, oh, wait, that made me think about something a little bit differently. And I hope that that is when people are listening to this. <laughs> and if you've ever been frustrated going into your doctor's office or with an outcome of something, this is going to help you figure out how to do the research, the questions to ask. And that's Again, empowering the patient is the most important thing to me. As we wrap up, is there anything else you'd like to share? And let me say right off the bat, the website is doingdiabetesdifferently.com. All of that information will be in the show notes. So there's no question about it. This episode comes out days before the book is available for purchase, but well, you actually, can pre-order. You can pre-order. There's a soft opening now. <laughs> So I haven't, I haven't really tested it out, but I think it is possible to go to any one of a number of online retailers and, and actually buy it now. But the big release will be the first week of October. Which is great. And I'm so happy that yep. this resource will be available as we roll into November for Diabetes Awareness Month. So lots of exciting announcements coming up with all that. And if you have not subscribed to the newsletter, this is a great opportunity to do so because you will get the first Oh, uh, yeah, you'll be the first to hear about everything. And Chad is going to be a regular contributor moving forward with some of the things I want to touch more about some of the chapters moving forward, which all that'll come out. Chad, is there anything else you want to touch on before we wrap up? No, Amber, this has been great. Thank you very much for having me. Well, for me, it's a no brainer. Doing diabetes differently hits home because Chad does an incredible job sharing his story, and why it was so important to write this book. Thank you, Chad, for picking the Diabetes Daily Grind as your charity of choice. As I wrap up this episode, I want to remind you that I'm here for my diapeeps and the medical community. So feel free to contact me on any social media platform or directly at amber at diabetesdailygrind.com. Your continued support and love help keep the episodes coming. Cheers to the highs and lows, everyone. Yes,